Welcome to the United States Paranormal Podcast. Sit down and buckle up for an enlightening ride through everything cryptid, creepy, and paranormal. Hello again, weirdlings. Welcome back to the United States of Paranormal. This week, myself, Alicia, and Jeremy, that's me, of Team Indiana, are here to talk about a weird story that we chose to dive into. And we also have a special guest with us today. Kind of out of nowhere. Kind of out of nowhere. <laughs> Just dropped on in. We'll take it. Yeah. So, go ahead, introduce yourself. I'm Gunner. Y'all know me from Golden Image Podcast and The Call Guys, and just came to start building a new desk and... Managed to hop in on an episode somehow. <laughs> Doing big things in the studio today. Yeah. So exciting. Yes. So before we get into this case, I keep saying case, you keep saying case. I know. It, it feels this like story, a case. Yeah. I don't know. We got to figure that out. We exactly. Do. Uh, let's talk about our first special guest that will be appearing in a few weeks. Oh, I'm super excited. Connor Biddle. Oh, my God. Yeah, it, I've been watching a lot of his uh, paranormal on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, Paranormal Encounters, and I've been reading his book, and it is pretty great. It's yeah. pretty great. So I'm excited to do that interview with him. Yes, it's gonna be, it's gonna be exciting. Just yes, unfortunately, he won't be in studio. Which in the last in our in our last Indiana adventure, you heard me repeat, he will not be in studio. He will not be in studio. <laughs> we'll be doing a, a Zoom call with him. And recording that. So, yeah, super excited. Yeah. So, if anybody has any questions that they personally want to ask Connor, uh, email us at the United States of Paranormal.com or at gmail.com and uh, we'll pass those on to Connor during our interview with yes, him. Yes, we will. I know that uh, the Skywalker will be sitting in with us on that episode. Yeah, he's uh, <laughs> He's got a list of questions. He's pretty excited too. Yeah, he has like a notebook full. Yeah, not surprised. <laughs> yeah, this may be Thorough. a real, this may be a two hour uh, episode. You just never know. Yeah, we both went to high school with Connor, so we know him fairly well. Yeah, and little boy. Yes, so he's done a he's done a lot of stuff. Now, was he older than you? Yes, but was, younger than Sky, no, he was in Skyler's grade. Was he in Skyler's grade? Yeah, that's so, awesome. Yeah, they all graduated together then. Yep, pretty sure. I don't know that I ever met him while he was there. I know that he was friends with people that I was friends with, classmates that I was friends with out of that class, mm-hmm. but I don't know that I ever actually met him. Yeah, he's done a lot of stuff in the Bourbon area. And... Yeah, he actually did the Bourbon Street Pizza. Haunting. Yeah, that's what Sky was yeah. saying. Yeah. I didn't even know that had weird stuff that happened. In the book, in his first book, he really goes in depth into it. It's pretty. It's pretty amazing. I think it was the upstairs, wasn't it? It was the attic. Yeah. Yeah. They had to climb upstairs. The you know, like the attic stairs to get to the to get to it. And oh, that's yeah, freaky. it's pretty crazy. It's cool to go back and watch too. It really is. How long ago did he do that? Oh, it's been years. I don't. Yeah. So it's exactly definitely going to be a lot of scrolling through the YouTube yeah, channel. Yeah. Uh, so all over the world, there are locations that just seem to draw mystery and the unexplained, like Bourbon Street Pizza. Yeah, it, yeah. You would never think in your life that Bourbon Street Pizza was haunted. Yeah, for, I had no idea. Old building downtown. Weird. Uh, they're almost like a lighthouse or a beacon for these situations. Several of those places are right here in the United States. Today, I'll be covering one of the most active but not very well-known locations, the Alaska Triangle. Have you ever heard of the oh, Alaska I Triangle? I have not heard of the no. Alaska Triangle. It's wild, and everybody hears of like the Bermuda Triangle, yeah. obviously, but 
This one, I think, is way scarier and should be way more popular than what it is. My sources for this episode are the YouTube video covering the Alaska Triangle by Missing Persons Mysteries, legendsofamerica.com, and onlyinyourstate.com. Alaska was the 49th to be welcomed into statehood. It's known as the last frontier, and it gets the name honestly. Over 47% of the state is uninhabited. Alaska is riddled with cold climate, harsh weather changes, limitless glaciers, and untouched wilderness. Alaska is truly wild and free. 54% of the United States' national designated wilderness is in Alaska. Weird fact, huh? That's pretty cool. (laughs) I know. This state is huge. A lot of times when you see a map, it doesn't look as big as it truly is. But it's nearly two and a half times the size of Texas. That means... I know. That means... Wow, because Texas is really big. Yeah, so take that, Team Tejas. (laughs) (laughs) We're moving. We're now Team Alaska. We're bigger. (laughs) Not everything's bigger in Texas. It's bigger in Alaska. So this means that there is so much land that has not been explored. And honestly, maybe we should just keep it that way. (laughs) So the Alaska Triangle, first named in 1972, spans over a third of the state. It is from Barrow, Alaska, which is in the most northern point, to the southern city of Anchorage, then across into the peninsula where the capital Juneau is, then back up to Barrow, stretching across part of the Yukon, which lies to the east. So this area is pretty big. Within this area of Alaska, over 16,000 people have went missing since 1988. That's right. (laughs) Over 16,000 people have completely vanished since 1988 since 1988 this is not like the 1900 not like 1901 this is 1988 yep wow every year between 500 to 2,000 people go missing in alaska alaska has the most missing people in the country most of which are never found for perspective of how terrifying this is alaska only has a population of 704 excuse me 724,000 residents it lays 48th in population amongst the 50 states. Law enforcement conducts search and rescue missions daily, yet they almost always come back empty-handed, without the person and without any trace of where they could even be. What could the re- reason for all this be? So today we're going to dive right into all the possibilities and also a few mysterious stories of the Alaska Triangle. One of the most famous missing people cases from the Alaska Triangle is the disappearance of Nick Begich. I think it's Begich. Begich? Begich? B-E-G-I-C-H. I I believe in you. Begich. There you go. Is it Begich? Begich. That sounds sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) And Hale Boggs. So Boggs was a Democratic politician and a member of the U.S. House of Representatives from New Orleans, Louisiana. He was also the House Majority Leader and a member of the Warren Commission, which, if you don't know what the Warren Commission is, maybe we'll get into that at some point in a later episode. Since he was a majority leader, Boggs often would help campaign for other Democratic Party politicians and representatives. On October 16, 1972, Boggs was on a fundraising and campaign drive on behalf of the Alaskan Congressman Nick Begich. Boggs... Begich, Begich's aide, who was Russell Brown, and the pilot, Don Jones, were in a twin-engine airplane traveling from Anchorage to Juneau. Mid-flight, they completely disappeared off radar. 
Immediately, a search was sent for them. The U.S. Coast Guard, the Navy, the Army, Air Force, Civil Air Patrol, and civilian fixed-wing aircrafts and helicopters came out. They covered over 32,000 square feet, excuse me, miles, (laughs) square miles, but they found nothing. You know, I always say that a a twin-engine airplane is never a good thing to take into a triangle. (laughs) I, that I always say that. That's actually a really popular expression. <laughs> so planes are required by state and federal law to carry an emergency location transmitter, but no signal was ever found coming from the plane during the search. The National Transportation Safety Board reported that the pilot's portable emergency transmitter, which was in replacement for the transmitter that was fixed to the plane, was actually found in an aircraft at Fairbanks, Alaska, a totally different plane. But a report noted that a witness saw an unidentified object in the pilot's briefcase before flight that resembled the portable emergency transmitter. The safety board ended up concluding that neither the plane nor the pilot had the transmitter on them at all. That would be my theory. Maybe yes. maybe whoever saw it saw it in the wrong briefcase or the wrong... Or saw something that wasn't the transmitter, but... Mm. Looked like a transmitter. Mm. So after 39 days, the search was suspended. Both Bejich and Boggs were up for re-election that November, so just a month after they disappeared. And somehow they both won. Oh, well, yeah, of course they did. Yeah, (laughs) but even though they were missing, it wasn't until a judge ruled them both deceased in January of 1973, hey, that's your birthday. Hey, the best year ever. (laughs) That they held a special election to bring in a new politician. There are some conspiracy theories that state this was orchestrated and covered up by FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover because he really didn't like Boggs at all. But this was obviously simply speculative, and there's not been any proof that this actually happened. Fifty years later, and knowing that they do search and rescue missions daily, neither the men nor the plane have ever been located. Hmm. Kind of wild, huh? That's a little biz- that's a little bizarre because you know honestly, when you think about a twin engine and and that much ice and snow you would think that at some point that would resurface because you figured that's probably where it went was mm-hmm. down just into the into the uh captain america style <laughs> frozen oh maybe he'll come back as a superhero <gasps> <Maybe>. sorry anyway <laughs> so another famous story of the alaska triangle is about the japan airlines cargo flight 1628 incident on November 17, 1986, a Japanese cargo plane was en route from Paris to Tokyo, and during the portion between Iceland and Anchorage, Alaska, the crew witnessed three unidentified crafts right after sunset in the eastern Alaskan sky. All three crew members saw at least two of the crafts. The pilot was an ex-fighter pilot with more than 10,000 hours of flight experience, so he definitely knew the skies like the back of his hand. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was witnessing. When he saw the aircraft, he assumed they were military craft because they were able to keep up with him. But then they abruptly went into a position a 1,000 feet in front of the Japanese cargo plane. They then went into an almost stacked position, one on top of the other, and when they did this, they did what the pilot described as a kind of reverse thrust, and their lights became dazzlingly bright, so much so that he could feel the heat coming off of them. 
He then stated that the thing was flying as if there was no such thing as gravity. It sped up and then stopped, then flew at our speed, in our direction, so that to us it appeared to be almost standing still. In an instant, it changed course. In other words, the flying object had overcome gravity. They were followed for 400 miles inside the Alaska Triangle. Air traffic was notified, but couldn't tell them that there was any traffic where they were, but they could see something odd on the radar. After several minutes, the objects went into a side-by-side configuration next to the plane, and the crew was able to get a better look at them. They had thrusters that seemed to be under automatic control. They were each kind of square-shaped with two rectangular sets of thrusters and nozzles. But the pilot had made the comment that sometimes they would look square, but then from another angle that they would look cylindrical. After reading the transcript of the pilot to air traffic control, he also describes them as having white and yellow strobe lights. Kind of funky. So as the plane neared Anchorage, the lights began to from the city began to illuminate a giant object alongside the two smaller. The pilot described it as a giant mothership, which he said was twice the size of an aircraft carrier. That's freaking mm. humongous. He stated that it followed in formation like the others, and after getting special permission from air traffic control, the pilot was able to go into a lower altitude and also make several turns to try to get away from the crafts, but nothing worked. They were able to keep right Right. with him. Anchorage offered military intervention, but the pilot stated that he didn't want it. This was due to the knowledge of the Mantell incident, which the Mantell incident Uh, happened in 1948, and it was a situation where a National Guard pilot died in a plane crash after being sent to pursue an unidentified flying object. So he didn't want that to happen to himself or to somebody else. Right. For 32 minutes, the the three crafts followed the Japanese plane, and an hour after seeing the objects, the plane safely landed in Anchorage. But the pilot spoke to the press about this incident, which prompted him to be moved to a desk job, and he was no longer allowed to fly. I'm assuming they thought he was crazy or something. Um, But he was reinstated his pilot's license several years later, and then he eventually retired in Japan. How crazy is that? I'm trying to understand how he could feel the heat from those engines. Because they were right in front of him. Yeah, but he's inside of a cockpit. I mean, how hot would that be that he could feel it inside the cockpit? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm wondering, like, you know when you're in a plane and the sun shines through the windows and you can oh, kind right. of feel the heat. I'm wondering if it's a similar situation to that. Right on. So I don't know how temperature control works in that kind of an area, too, because they're just kind of encapsulated. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, you should be able to feel, whether it's cold or high, you should be able to feel the temperature from outside. That's true. I thought maybe he had a window open, he put his hand out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be weird. Yeah, that would be super weird. <laughs> So, so nobody had nobody had ca- he didn't have a camera with him. No, I'm assuming not. I mean, it was the 80s, but I mean, obviously no cell phone. No cell. He phones. couldn't snap us. He couldn't get a selfie with. It's like look what I see. <laughs> so you know how that goes. You take a picture and nothing's in it. So I hate that. Yeah, I've had weird stuff happen where I try to take a picture of it. And it's just not. It, it just doesn't nothing. happen. Doesn't come out. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Okay. It's part of the aliens. That's what they do. They get they mess with your mind. They manipulate the phones. <laughs> Which could be a possibility when we get further into this oh, dear story. Lord. Okay. Manipulation of my S twenty one plus. 
On January 26, uh, 1950, 44 people were aboard a Douglas C-54 Skymaster military plane taking off from Anchorage, Alaska to Great Falls Air Force Base in Montana. Two hours into its eight-hour flight, the aircraft made its last radio contact stating that it was passing, it was just now passing over uh, Snag, Yukon, which is located within the Alaska Triangle. After this, there were no more messages. An hour after it was supposed to land in Montana, the search and rescue program was launched. 85 American and Canadian planes and 7,000 personnel searched 350,000 square miles of the Pacific Northwest. At the time, this was the largest military search that was ever conducted. During the search, two other planes crashed while looking for the Douglas C-54. By February 14, 1950, all searches were suspended due to an investigation on a plane crash in the area carrying a nuclear bomb Oh dear Lord! that luckily did not have a radioactive core. But by February 20th, all searches were officially canceled and the passengers were considered deceased. Nothing was ever found of the aircraft or its passengers, but in 2012, a petition was started to reinstate the search efforts. I don't believe it was ever pushed forward, though, because it had been so long, and they do missions daily, so they would have came across it. But this is one of the largest groups of military personnel that's ever went missing. All at once, just disappeared. Hmm. Alongside these stories are dozens and dozens of experienced men and women who have went missing while hiking, climbing mountains, or camping in the Alaska Triangle. People who knew the mountains, uh, they knew Alaska, people who knew how to climb mountains, um, who had climbed these specific mountains multiple times, yet somehow they go missing. Or people that wouldn't be caught in the mountains at all. They wouldn't go out and do any of this, you know, crazy, adventurous stuff. Um, They were just casually in Alaska. I can't even list all the people or go through a quick breakdown of each one and because there's just so many. I don't know where to start or stop. Right. There's no explanation for a lot of them, and most of them leave no clues at all behind. So what is the reasoning behind all of these missing people within the Alaska Triangle? I'm sure our minds want to go to the easily explained. The wilderness is cruel and unrelenting here. They simply got lost. Between the terrain, the weather shifts, the the easiness of not knowing where you are, of course it could happen. But maybe it's a mix of other things, things that are much more ominous. Let's start out with what we do know. So found bodies and deaths within Alaska. Accidental death is the third cause of death in Alaska. This includes falling off mountains, slipping on ice, drownings, Basically, any form of death that can't be controlled is considered accidental. Alaska has 10 times the national average for drowning deaths in the U.S. 20 drowning deaths per 100,000 people. Is that because the water is a lot colder and it's easier to be subdued in, a, in, that, in that temperature of water? It's because there's um, a lot of people that they work within the water. There's fishing, right. you know, ice work or whatever um so the wild thing about drowning that i learned while doing this is when people drown they sink first and then as the bacteria uh produces gas as they decompose the gas will inflate their lungs and push them right back up to the surface but in alaska the waters are so cold that bacteria can't grow like it does in other places right so usually the bodies will just stay at the bottom of the water and i think that might be a reason why drowning is such a problem is because you're cold you get uh 
what's hypothermia. it called? Hypothermia. Yeah, that's more of a problem. And then you eventually, you know, as Just, you're going through hypothermia, drowned. Right. Um, so the bodies don't compo- decompose at the same rate, but they might get eaten by animals. Uh-huh. So most times when people die of drowning, they eventually wash up to the shore this doesn't happen in Alaska. They just stay at the bottom. Just they're just good down there. Yeah, they're just hanging out. They're, mm, they're fish food. <laughs> I said it. You said I it. Said it. I think like crabs because uh, there's so many crabs up there. Yep. Yeah. Hot bottom feeders. Yeah. So like if Alaska's deadliest catch is up there, and they out uh, there getting some crab. Oh, look, we got a body. Oh, probably. Oh, I never thought about that. They don't show that on TV, folks. Ooh. So another cause for missing people is when they start climbing mountains or going across the desert-like areas, because Alaska is kind of like a, a desert, technically. Um, there are lots of crevices and cracks. Some are big enough for people to slip or fall down into, and thus causing them to get just wedged and unable to crawl out. So if snow falls or if there's an avalanche, their bodies get covered and they just kind of get buried within these cracks. And then they just are lost forever and nobody's ever going to find them. One thing I believe we forget about living in the continental U.S. is the wildlife that lives in Alaska. The animals there are much more dangerous and include several different types of bears like the polar, grizzly, black and brown bears, wolves, bison, moose, elk, lots of very large and potentially dangerous animals, which I'm sure you're thinking, like, how could these non-threatening animals attack? Well, in Alaska, moose outnumber bears three to one. Mm-hmm. Even though they won't outwardly hurt you like a bear would, um, there's there's so many of them and they're so large that they easily stampede over people. They're known to injure five to ten people a year. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Now, our uh, moose are not a carnival, though, right? They're not they a carnival. carnival. Carnivores. <laughs> Carnivores. Sorry. They're not a carnival. No, I think they're mostly... I mean, maybe they eat insects or like small rodents and stuff, but I think they're not going to like attack a person. But right on. I didn't. They're probably both. They're probably omnivores. They probably eat meat and vegetables, (laughs) (laughs) plants, meat and taters. They eat meat and taters. Yeah, they like mashed potatoes. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) lots of butter. Four cheese. Yeah, same. Yeah. So let's talk about the more paranormal reasonings to why the Alaska Triangle is such a hot spot for activity. Aliens. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Since 1998, the National UFO Reporting Center has registered over 560 sightings of unidentified flying objects in just Alaska. The majority are within the Triangle. So what could be the source of the influx of UFO activity within this area? I'm going to sound like a nutcase when I tell you this, but apparently (laughs) there is a large alien base within Alaska. Anchorage, Alaska seems to be a hotspot for activity, which is exactly where ufologists believe an alien base is located. This base is one of the largest on Earth and is claimed to reside in Mount Hayes. According to Pat Price, who is a remote viewer in relation to UF nature, excuse me, UFO nature, the aliens within Mount, this is kind of funny, but the aliens within Mount Hayes are good looking. They basically look like they're very attractive humans, but have a different, different cardiovascular system and the eyes are slightly different. They communicate by thought transfer and, and are able to control the motor functions of humans. I know. <laughs> Jeremy's like squinting his eyes at me like, mm. Mm, 
I've always wanted to have telepathic. That'd be awesome. Yeah. That'd be pretty neat. Yeah. So this location is known for odd behavior in the skies, including the malfunction of U.S. and Russian space objects. So they may be able to control your phone, is what I'm saying. Ah! Uh, yeah. I don't control my phone! <laughs> so don't go to the Alaska Triangle. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Previously classified FBI files between 1947 and 1950 share many UFO and alien reports. And these are declassified at this point. These are the declassified ones. Yeah, they were previously classified. So these are public knowledge at this point. In August of 1947, two military officers were in Anchorage. They had witnessed a craft flying at extreme speeds. It was circular, and it didn't leave a vapor trail. So they were like, that's Mm. suspect. (laughs) It was over 10,000 feet in the air traveling against the wind. Also a little suspect. In July of 1947, in Bethel, Alaska, on a clear day, a military flyer spotted an unidentified craft that he described as a flying wing that seemed to be standing still in the air to him due to the speed at which it was traveling. He stated it was free of any outside power sources like a propeller or an exhaust, and the FBI file states, He called on his radio to the Civil Aeronautics Administration station at Bethel, asking what aircraft was in the vicinity, and they had no reports of any aircraft. The object he sighted was some 5 or 10 miles from the airport before his arrival, and he stated that the path did not go directly across the airport. He, of course, could not tell whether the object was making any noise and stated that it was flying at a 1,000-foot altitude and estimated travel at 300 miles per hour. It was traveling in the direction from Bethel to Nome, which is a northwesterly direction. He noted no radio interference and is unable to describe the color other than that it appeared dark but had a definite shape and did not blend into the, into the sky but had a defined concise outline. He clearly observed the object at this time. Now, he is a pilot. He knows he's been trained, and he's saying there's something funky in the sky. Right. Over the 1940s and 1950s, the FBI still kept track of the many UFO sightings that they that were reported within Alaska. One such report happened over a two-day span in Kodiak, Alaska, titled The Unidentified Phenomenon in the Vicinity of Kodiak, Alaska. So this is the FBI uh, report with a subtle, subtitle of a report of sightings of unidentified airborne objects by various naval personnel on the 22nd and 23rd, January 1915. Wow, that's a mouthful. mouthful. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's the longest name we can find. Here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Fall Out Boy song yeah. title. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And you just say it was concise, too, and they just have the longest name. In the, yeah. in the world. <laughs> So Lieutenant Smith was flying um, the Kodiak. He was flying in the Kodiak Security Patrol. He reported an unidentified object on radar 20 miles north of the Kodiak Naval Air Station. Eight minutes after his report, another report was made stating that there was another unidentified object flying 10 miles southeast of the Kodiak Naval Air Station. Lieutenant Smith contacted the control tower to see if there was any known traffic in the area, and they stated no. During this time, communications were interrupted and broken up. And at one point, they completely lost all contact with uh, Lieutenant Smith. During the same time as these encounters, USS Tilbrook was anchored nearby in the main ship channel. Seaman Morgan stated a very fast-moving red light, which appeared to be 
of exhaust nature seemed to come from the southeast, moved clockwise in a large circle in the direction of and around Kodiak, and then returned out in a generally southeast direction. Uh, Morgan was so dumbfounded by what he had saw that he got the attention of a fellow seaman named Carver, and they both watched. They said the object was in sight for an estimated 30 seconds. No odor or sound was detected, and the object was was described to have the appearance of a ball of fire about one foot in diameter. So later on in the night, Lieutenant Smith once again was visited by the flying object while running patrol. This time he was within an estimated five miles of the UFO. So this time he acknowledged that it was going at high speeds and it had a glowing tail behind it. Lieutenant Smith didn't want to let it go, get away this time, and he began chasing it. The closer he got, the more the object seemed to be almost playing a game with Smith, and he kept taking sharp, it kept taking sharp hair turns and coming up from behind Lieutenant Smith and his aircraft. Basically playing leapfrog with him. Yes. Yeah. It eventually got right up behind him, and Smith considered this a threatening move, so um, he then turned off all the lights on the aircraft, which is, I guess, what they do when, like in the military if there's a threat. And within four minutes of doing so, the UFO disappeared. The next day, several more members of the patrol squadron watched as an unidentified aircraft put on a a sort of show for them. They watched as it flew all over the Alaskan sky, turning and twisting in ways that they couldn't believe were even possible. The report reads, One, to Lieutenant Smith and crew, it appeared as two orange lights rotating around a common center, like two jet aircraft making slow rolls in tight formation. It had a wide speed range. Two, to Morgan and Carver, which were the seamen, it appeared as a reddish-orange ball of fire about one foot in diameter traveling at a high rate of speed. Three, to Kosser, Barco, and Paulson, which were the other ones from the the, uh, second day, it appeared to be a pulsating orange-yellow projectile-shaped flame with regular periods of pulsation on three to five seconds. Later, as the object increased the range, the pulsation appeared to increase to on seven or eight seconds and off seven to eight seconds. So some of the common explanations are weather balloons, but weather balloons were not released in this area or anywhere near at that time. Maybe they were potentially a natural phenomenon. Like when you hear about the tail, you're thinking a meteorite, right? Right, right, yeah. The issue with this is that meteors don't turn in multiple directions, and they aren't in the sky for longer than, at most, 30 seconds. The sightings were had by multiple well-experienced military personnel. They have no idea what it could have been and have no answers. They do know the way that it was behaving and interacting with them was threatening by military standards. And as we know from the Japanese pilot, when they talk about these things, they're putting themselves out there as potentially being kicked out by having mental health issues, you know. So I don't think people that were in the military would want to come forward unless they were really, truly serious about this. Ladies and gentlemen, with the partnership from Golden Mojo Entertainment, the star of this show, the United States of Paranormal Presents, Cryptid Crate. We know now that in the earlier years of the 21st century, this world was being watched closely by intelligence greater than man. Cryptid Crate. Cryptid Crate 
is a monthly subscription box featuring cryptozoological creatures and paranormal themed items to wear, read, and collect. Each box contains four to six items of independent artists, mass-produced items, and even some items only produced for Cryptid Crate. All items in the box are worth more than the cost of the box, such as stickers, books, t-shirts, buttons, custom coins, and more. Cryptid Crate is now offering a junior edition for kids, featuring t-shirts, handmade plushes by Cryptid Comforts, and a few other child-aimed items. If you aren't ready to subscribe, Cryptid Crate offers a mystery sampler box that includes a coupon code for a discount for when you do decide to subscribe. To get 25% off your purchase of a mystery box, use code USPARANORMAL. Just remember, if your doorbell rings, it's no Martian. It's just Cryptid Crate. So our next theory, Bigfoot. Bigfoot? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. How does Bigfoot fit in here? Well, it's a visit from your friendly neighborhood, Bigfoot. Oh. Bigfoot is seen all over the United States, but with all the untouched wilderness, wouldn't Alaska be the perfect place for Bigfoot to set up a family home? Well, yeah, definitely. And you know what his family pet is? The chupacabra. Yep, there you go. <laughs> Bigfoot sightings are reported constantly within Alaska, almost more than aliens. There have been findings of nests, hair, and maybe even a Bigfoot skeleton. Some towns and villages have went to the extent of completely abandoning their homes and moving elsewhere due to a lingering Bigfoot threat. Hmm. Some of the wildest stories of the Alaska Triangle population of Bigfoot are multiple people seeing Bigfoot going for a swim. Hmm. A trapper going missing in the 1900s and said to have been attacked and taken by a Bigfoot. The same year, a man went foraging in the woods and eventually fell asleep while he was foraging. I wonder what he was doing out there. Mm. But uh, he ended up waking up to an ape-like man near him speaking, but he couldn't understand what he was saying. Isn't that wild? So he had his own language. Yeah, they have their own language, apparently. Huh. They are like a primate, and they talk. Primates are like have communication. That's true. That's true. Uh, in 1940, several women were out foraging for berries, and when they came across, um, then they came across a man with hair all over his body. They were able to capture him, cage him, and kept him long enough to feed it and treat him as a pet. Uh, it did die, but nothing is known of where the carcass or the body would be. But maybe it was just like a ha- really hairy man. It wasn't a big. <laughs> what what year was that? Did they give 1940. A year? Wow. This is some badass bitches in 1940. Yeah, for real. We took down Bigfoot. Alaska women are built different, <laughs> clearly. In 1943, a man was attacked by a Bigfoot, but lived long enough to tell his tale. He stated his dogs were able to run it off, but unfortunately, his injuries were so severe that he died. Oh. Yeah. In 1958, a man was out fishing and spotted an eight-foot man covered in hair that he estimated weighing around 400 pounds. 
1960, a young boy had a similar sighting and ran away back into his hometown screaming and crying. Port Chapman, also known as Port Luck, is one of the most famous towns to be abandoned due to Bigfoot. The entire town grew more and more fearful as bodies kept washing up on the shorelines, mangled from being attacked. And like we said, if they're in the water and they drowned, they're going to sink. Right, right. right. So they're being thrown into the shallow end Uh of the shorelines. Um, There were stories that a family of Bigfoot lived in the nearby woods, and eventually it got so bad that everyone in the town just packed up and left. And this is a port town, which is... You know how ports are. They're very well seeked. One story that wasn't so bad was a tale of a three-year-old girl who got lost in the woods after leaving her house. She just kind of wandered off. And somehow she returned, and the girl told her parents that a big hairy man picked her up and carried her back home. See, and that makes sense to me because I, I don't really know... The legend is Bigfoot as being a, a monster, mm-hmm. so to speak. They've always, my thing has always been that they were the, kind of the gentle monster, you know? Yeah, and they stuff just like didn't that. like to be so, provoked. Yeah. yeah. So does that mean that the people that were attacked were provoking him or coming after him? Or? So there are theories about Bigfoot, how he's kind of like the guardian of the forest and like the protector of them. So I'm wondering, I didn't look too much into uh, Port Chapman or Port Luck. But I'm wondering if it was more of a uh, logging town and maybe they were disrupting the forest and Bigfoot got pissed. Right on. That could very well be. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, Alaska, they do a lot of logging and stuff out there anyway. So I'm wondering if there's a correlation between that. And he's like, not my woods. Not. So you're saying Bigfoot's like a vigilante in Alaska? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a (laughs) vigilante. Yeah. Imagine a comic about a Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> just... On the next call, guys. Yeah, there you go. There's your movie. Yeah, I, yeah everything I've ever heard about Bigfoot is that he's not, he's not a, a violent guy. Yeah. So wow. considering Bigfoot is elusive and he's known for liking their personal space, but not afraid to approach humans necessarily... Could this just be a case of this is my territory and since we are very similar to them, they feel threatened and attacked? On to our next theory. Okay. This one's kind of out there. I mean, they're all kind of out there. What, UFOs and Bigfoot? I yeah. mean, you know, <laughs> is normal. Nessie coming to Alaska or what's going oh, on? I guarantee there's a there's a monster in the water. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Energy vortexes. Oh, we we hinted at this early in what, what episode zero? Did we talk about that? The mm-hmm. Like, we're talking about portals. Yes. 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 Yeah, well, n- not necessarily. No, not necessarily. Uh, okay. Let me cover it. Uh, you go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, energy vortexes are said to be swirling, concentrated centers of Earth energy. They are said to impact humans, animals, and the physical surroundings in many ways, including physically, mentally, and emotionally. There are two kinds of vortexes. There's positive and negative. So positive vortexes are sources of positive energy, obviously. They assist in healing, meditation, inspiration, creativity, self-exploration, and make people feel recharged, good, uplifted. That's the one that I want. Yeah, right? Yeah, I, want, I want that one. So, uh, I, I pick it. I pick it now. <laughs> you get the other one. <laughs> I don't want the other one. These kinds of vortexes are said to be at the Egyptian pyramids, the Sedona Desert, and other sacred places throughout the world. Negative 
cortexes or vial, excuse me, negative vortexes or vial vortexes, as they're sometimes called, are said to be the opposite. These vortexes deplete and drain those inside of them. They cause health problems like depression, nightmares, disorientation, and hallucinations. Some places throughout the world where they are said to reside, the Bermuda Triangle, Japan's Devil Sea, and the Alaska Triangle. Electronic readings performed in the Alaska Triangle find that there is a large concentration of magnetic anomalies within it. What? It's interesting you say that because I've always heard UFOs are drawn to that magnetic that magnetic field. Yeah, large, so, yeah, ma- magnetic anomalies. Yeah. When using compasses, they found that there were sometimes up to 30 they were sometimes up to 30 degrees off. Mhm. Workers performing rescues in the area also had issues, have issues, with audio hallucinations, lightheadedness, and disorientations. Some people even believe that these vortexes are actually spiritual doorways or doorways to other dimensions, which would make sense when it comes to people literally disappearing into thin air. Right. Like they would just walk right out of a door into another place. Could these vortexes be real and be the cause for so many issues regarding planes crashing? Mm Because they're all their equipment, and the strange disappearances. The next, this one's wild. It gets weirder than UFOs, Bigfoot, and and Vortexes? Yes, it does. The next uh, reasoning is the Kushtaka. Okay? The Kushtaka are a cryptid said to live in Alaska, as told by folklore of the native Tlingit people. Tlingit, I think is how it's pronounced. Um, They've told stories of these evil spirits terrorizing the lands of Alaska for over 11,000 years. The word kushtaka translates to land otter man due to the creature's capability of shape-shifting. And most specifically, they shape-shift into otters. So they're tall, hairy, humanoid creatures that have the face of an otter. In many of these stories, the Kushtaka are cruel beings who like to do harm onto others, especially sailors or people close to bodies of water. The creatures will lure people out into the waters by imitating cries of help from like a woman or a crying baby. And when they get just close enough, they will kill them, eat them, and leave no trace. Or they will turn them into a Kushtaka also. Either way, it's believed that this hinders the person from reincarnating by stealing their soul. Jeremy's face right now. <laughs> reincarnated like getting bit by a vampire. Like you turn him into a vampire. Essentially, you turn him yeah. into one of those. In other stories, they're known for helping people um, that are drowning or being frozen to death. They do this by transforming themselves into otter-like versions of that person's family or loved ones. And talking to them through whatever hardship that they're facing so that they survive. Either way, the Kushtaka are known for trying to help people in their most, or trying to help people in their most vulnerable of times when they may not have a choice but to trust whoever they believe is trying to help them. But you just said they eat people. They, in some stories. Oh, okay. In All right. Some it, it depends on which side of the table you're living on. Yes, exactly. Right. If the Kushtaka, if the other people <laughs> like you or not. <laughs> so, fun fact that crosses slightly into uh, my other podcast, Murder Nerds. You're more likely to be killed by a serial killer in Alaska more than anywhere else in the United States. Really? Yep. 
A quote from CrimeCapsule.com says, Proportional to its population, Alaska is, without a doubt, the most popular state among serial killers, with 15.65 serial killings per 1 million inhabitants. A total of 51 serial murders took place in Alaska between 1900 and 2014, with more than half of those occurring between 1980 and 1990. So this leads us to what may be happening within the Alaska Triangle. There's a serial killer specifically in and around Nome, Alaska. Around 2005, people started really seeing the trend of residents and tourists just randomly going missing and never being heard from again. It's a very uh, common or community-driven city, so people obviously started talking and connecting the dots and that maybe they really have a good serial killer on their hands. The FBI caught wind of the rumors and decided to take it into their own hands, And they concluded that since Nome is a town known for partying, while other Alaskan towns and cities around that are, excuse me, that other towns and cities around, they aren't really partying cities, that everyone just flocks to Nome to party, gets drunk, and wanders off into the woods or drowns (laughs) in the various lakes, rivers, and etc. Seems like a pretty wacky thought process, but I don't work for the FBI, so I have no room to judge. I bet they drink mead. Oh, probably tons of mead. Yeah. Mead is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> the last odd notion that I've looked into regarding missing people is cults. There are quite a lot of communes and cults within Alaska, and there are a lot of communities that are completely off-grid and work deep within the wilderness at times. Um, one in particular, the body has no phone number, no website, and no address. It works completely by indoctrinating people, like out in the public. So could it be a possibility that some people that go missing could simply be taken, for lack of better word, by a cult, and they're never heard from again? If they're out in the middle of the wilderness, living off the grid? Pretty crazy. But don't you think one of those search parties would have come across something like that so from what i learned about the body they rotate which is the call they learn or they hold their meetings and stuff at various random places all over like they're constantly migrating to different people's like cabins and stuff like that so i think it's just kind of like this migrant rotating cult it's never in one specific location yeah yeah and i mean if they come across them they can say, "Yeah, I'm just out here." They don't. Right. Yeah, they seem people. to not have like identification. They don't have to give that to people. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't know. Um, I think the vast majority of these people that have gone missing have probably went missing by complete accident. Alaska is mysterious and grueling with constant land changes due to climate and weather. So I'm sure it's it's holding a lot of its secrets. But some of these stories. They have no answers or explanations. Sixteen thousand missing people is a lot of people to go missing. And it's even stranger that most of them have left completely without a trace. There are quite a few documentaries, docuseries, books written on the subject, and there's a ton of really great YouTube videos that I watched that were covering the Alaska Triangle. So what do you guys think about this? I think, uh, I just want to touch on the siller, this, good Lord, (laughs) words are hard. They are. The serial killer portion of that. I could understand that. Because of that whole daylight scenario that happens up there in Alaska, where it's like daylight for weeks at a time, yeah, or whatever, and it's supposed crazy. to supposed to drive people mad. So I could, I could really fall into that one pretty, pretty relatively easily. Mm-hmm. 
that they could have somebody that and more than just one actually. Oh yeah, for because sure. Because of that, but um, I'm a true believer in Bigfoot. I think Bigfoot's real. I don't doubt it at all. I I fall again into what we talked about in episode zero about there being portals, and that's why yeah. we can't necessarily get onto them. I do believe that there are multiverses, mm-hmm. and where these items could be crossing in between those, you just never know. Yeah, I mean, we don't have the brain capacity to summon a portal to another multiverse, but maybe they do. Yeah, it's just hard to say. Do you believe in any of that stuff, there, Chico? Oh yeah, there's uh, there's definitely Sasquatches out there. Um, you get aliens involved, and you got space squatches. Space, <laughs> which we know they're space squatches. I've I've seen a YouTube video all about space squatches, and definitely definitely a real thing. <laughs> I might have starred in that YouTube video, but <laughs> um, no, oh, I, Alicia, man. I'm gonna have to send that so you can put that in the notes, so you can put the old space squat. Yeah, I would have put yeah. that in the notes. Oh, I can't wait to see. As this. soon as you said space squatch, I knew exactly what you're talking. Oh about. yeah, no, I. Man, I don't know. There's there's a lot of possibilities, but a lot of it, I think, would go back to just accidental. Yeah. I, I, th- I feel like, especially Alaska, having all of those faults and all those cracks and crevices and mountains people climb, mm-hmm. a lot of, there's probably a ton of ice climbers out there. That's... Is it possible that, let's go back to the original, the, the original story you started with, with the plane and the, and the senator and all that. Yes. If the plane breaks down and goes down, the crevices you were talking about that people slid down into, are those big enough that the plane could have slid down in there and that's why we're just not finding and it? And caused an avalanche. Yeah. And then the avalanche I covered mean, yeah, them over the, exactly. cap, the crater thing. Or, you know, how thick is the snow when you're going up in the mountains? Is it, you know, so no many problem, feet yeah. deep where it just buries itself right, right into the snow? That's something they ought to consider in their little searches when they're doing stuff and like i'm sure that. it snows all the time so that's getting covered right over yeah. mm-hmm. well and i mean there's ground penetrating radar so why haven't they taken that kind that's... of stuff and flown over you know grid it off section right. it off and then go piece by piece with the different kinds of radar i mean uh, planes are metal so they should be able to detect metal right right just go out there with a fish finder oh that's a real big <laughs> <laughs> i'll tell you what we'll take gary drayton Let's take Gary Drayton out there. He's the world specialist in metal detecting. That's true. He's, he's on Oak Bobby, Island Bobby right Dazzler. now. He's a Bobby Dazzler. He'll find that Bobby Dazzler real quick. <laughs> Love that, dude. So, yeah, that's, that's that's my thought process on that. Just a couple of those. I mean, like I said, Bigfoot. I believe in Bigfoot and all that stuff. I believe mm-hmm. all that stuff at some point has some reality to it. There was one case that just happened. I believe it was in Missing People case. It was in 2018. These two gentlemen, I cannot remember their names for the life of me, but they were climbing a mountain, a pretty easy for them mountain. Right. And the way they went missing and their ropes were found and the way their whatever ropes, how they climb or whatever, there was a rope that was attached. So they know that they got to the top and then they just disappeared. There was no ropes leading back down or anything. Right. So... It's, they've been, I think they were from Canada, those men were, but they've looked all over for them and they can't find them, nothing. And I mean, it snows so much there and the snow shifts, the wind blows, there's no footprints, nothing. I think it's so bizarre that most of the time they can't find any trace trace of them, their bags, their coats. I mean, you're in Alaska and it's, you know, you have to wear all these big, huge coats all the time. And the problem they're seeing now with, um, it's getting up to like 
80 degrees sometimes in Alaska, all that snow is melting Mm -hmm. and shifting the snow and avalanches are becoming more of a, a problem. Right. Well, and Alaska period is a brutal, brutal mm-hmm. area. I mean, you watch some of these shows that they they send these people out of you know surviving Alaska, or even the ones that live there. Yeah, you know that have to make sure that they get all of their fishing and everything done in just a very short amount of time, so that they can get through what quote unquote the winter months. Yeah, and survive. But yeah, there it's brutal. Another story about a lady who was on a date. She went to like a, a festival with a guy. It was their first date. And this one's kind of sketchy to me. But their car wouldn't start. So he said he walked back into the festival to go see if he could find somebody to jumpstart the car. And when he went back, the girl was gone. And he was only gone for like five minutes. And she left all her stuff in the car, but she was gone. Mm. And nobody's been able to find her since. Mm, and she was originally cool. from like Los Angeles or something, too. Hmm. Yeah. Do you suppose that Bigfoot would be attracted to pheromones? Is something like that would be He's a primate. Bring in? Yeah, I'm telling you. Maybe. Do you suppose that Bigfoot has a little red butt? <laughs> He's not a baboon, I don't think. No. Oh, I just was curious. Do you do you wonder if like a female Sasquatch has two human nipples <gasps> or like two rows of <laughs> nipples like a dog? <laughs> oh, I never thought about that. Your Bigfoot thoughts don't uh, do anything for the planes, though. Oh, that's true. That's Bigfoot true. Yeah. is the one that's flying the UFOs. Uh-huh. By remote space, control. He's a space squatch. And he's putting he's them in through the dimensions. He's got like a portal gun that yeah. he shoots and makes pew, the pew. planes go. <laughs> space squatch, portal gun, UFOs, planes go missing. Yeah. You see? It all connects. Big There's brains. the dots right there. Big brains right here. That's the dots. <laughs> I'm gonna okay. I'm it gonna works. put up that on my wall, you know, like with the little strings and be like a space squad <laughs> drones. Like a detective. <laughs> <laughs> it all makes perfect sense. Look, it's all right there on the wall. <laughs> Actually if you flip that cork board over, that's what's on the <laughs> other side. <laughs> Shh, don't share my secrets. This place is gonna get raided. Yeah. Gunner, come on. <laughs> Sorry. We're not in Alaska. We're good. We're not in Alaska anymore. <laughs> Toto. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listeners. So, have you ever been to Alaska? No, but my my mom, my his grandma has. Yes. She, uh, God bless her. When she retired, that was the first thing she did. It was always something she wanted to do. Really? And she jumped on. Um, well, they jumped on a train and took mm-hmm. a, took a train from. What, like South Bend all the way to Seattle? And then they um, jumped on a a cruise ship and went up into Alaska and watched the whales. And yeah. There you go, Becky. It was amazing. I was so happy for her. I was so excited. This is the way you spend your retirement. Yeah. Just go get them. She's done lots of fun stuff. She does. Yeah. She she does all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. I actually have the whale videos that she sent me to edit for her somewhere. Aww. Did you get edited? Oh, yeah. She's got a copy of it. Right on. Yeah. I've got got all of her Alaska trip on a jump drive. Yeah. And I know, yeah, it's right in, it's in the studio G. So nice. all of her pictures, all of her videos, all that stuff. How fun. Yeah. I think it'd be fun to go to Alaska. I think it would be too. I don't know. That, I don't want to live there. I just want to visit. No. Yeah. Yeah. I've always heard Juno is really cool. It'd yeah. Be a fun city to go to. There's a, I want to go to, uh, what's the, uh, the one that we talked about in Crankshaft Glory? I can't think of the name of it now, but we had a, 
we had a, a name of an Alaskan city in one of our songs just because we thought it was cool. <laughs> Sheboygan. Sheboygan. Uh, there no, you go. that's Sheboygan. That's that's Wisconsin. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I had to I had to go back and look, but yeah, one day we met in Sheboygan, but there was another one we had something about Alaska. How fun! Yeah. So, have any of you listeners? Are you from Alaska? Have you been there? Dun, dun, dun. Uh, what's your opinions on all the ex- experiences? So we want to hear from you. We do. And I'm gonna post some photos and screenshots of all the fun stuff that has been mentioned. Right on. <laughs> some Bigfoot. Maybe I'll some... find a Bigfoot swimming picture. Maybe you Taking never know. A, doing a backstroke. Yeah. Clip, <laughs> clip art. He's got a he's got a beer on his chest. He's like, yeah. What's up? I was thinking like a swim cap, but he's hairy all over, <laughs> so he just need a full body suit. Well, you know, he might want to keep his hair out of his eyes. <laughs> there you go. He might have like little cheek things or whatever, just like, you know, like what do they put little strips on their cheek to keep their hair down? <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we do have Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Or no, excuse me. Just search the United States of Paranormal. And then our Twitter is at two stop pod because it was too long yeah, to make it the whole thing because yeah. it's a mouthful. If you have any suggestions for an episode, just feel free to message us on there or email us at uh, the United States of Paranormal at Gmail. And also, um, if you have like a weird story, like if you saw a Bigfoot one time, email us. I want to hear it and I'll read it on the show. Definitely. Um, before I go, I like to plug the other podcasts on the Golden uh, Mojo Network. Dun, dun, dun. dun, dun, dun. Network. Golden Mojo Entertainment Network. That's right. Uh, so Jeremy's other podcast is Golden Image Podcast, and that's Gunner's podcast, too. Uh-huh. So they travel all around northern Indiana reviewing different places, restaurants, bars, events, literally anything that you can imagine. And if you ever want to try a new place within Indiana, definitely check out their podcast so you can get a fun idea. Yeah. It's it's awesome. We get to go do things, and then we tell you about it, and then... You don't have to waste your time. Jeremy yeah. already did. I already, I already wasted the time. <laughs> I We've been very fortunate that... I think there's maybe only one or two places we've been that we like, eh. we didn't recommend. We don't want to say don't go because, you know, we want you to experience whatever you want to experience. But most places we've gone to have been really good. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so Gunner also has another podcast, The Call Guys. Each week, he and his best friend Colton discuss a variety of pop culture topics from movies to TV shows, everything in between. So if you keep your eyes and ears open, you might see a crossover oh, in the future. Maybe. Kind of like today. <laughs> kind of like today, yeah. Accidentally. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe you want to stick to the scary podcast. If so, check out my other podcast, Murd Nerds. We are a true crime podcast hosted by myself and my best friend, Ashley. And we tell the stories of the missing, the unsolved, and other true crime, strange true crime stories within Indiana. All of these podcasts are available wherever you enjoy listening. Don't forget to follow, subscribe, and if you're an Apple podcast or a Spotify user, please go ahead and rate and review. It's totally free, and it's an easy way to help support us here at TUSOP. But if you would like to help the podcast monetarily, we do have a ton of really awesome merch. Jeremy and I are sporting it. We got these, I got badass leggings. Uh huh. Yep. With a ghost on it. And you can find the purchasing link on any of our social media accounts. Call Guys is working on theirs too. Call Guys? Yeah. yeah. That's a pretty wicked hat you got there. Thanks. I made this one though. It's not the, it's not the new official logo. No. no. But yeah. I like it. I, I got like one it. too. Because I'm the emperor. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you guys got anything you want to talk about real quick before we get off? No, we got Connor Biddle coming up soon. We're excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be on the call, guys, here in episode ten. So if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it because I'm sure by now it's already been released. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you get a chance, go back and listen to the Vintage Golden Image with Laura K. Balky. Oh, that was such a good episode. Did you listen oh, to yeah, it? Oh yeah, yeah, so good. Good, good. I had so much fun, and it's got my uh, my old buddy, my old buddy Scotty T, which you got to meet. You got to meet yesterday. Yeah, I got to meet him finally. And uh, our old friend Donnie, uh, we called him Sissy Boy throughout the episode. He is long. He is long past. He's been gone for a few years now, and. It was good to to hear his voice again, you know, to listen to him on the on the show. But yeah, Laura is amazing. Yeah, she liked the post. Did you see that? She heart reacted uh-huh. it. Yes, I did see that. I was so happy. <laughs> but yeah, we got uh, Golden Image has got her coming in for an interview um, in June. That's also. awesome. So it's going to be a big big June. Yeah, we got to get through yeah, the wedding of, of May, and we'll get into June. But that's it for us. That's pretty much uh, all we got going on. All right, guys. Until next time, we'll see you on the other side. To support other Golden Mojo Entertainment Productions, check out Golden Image Podcast, The Call Guys, and Murd Nerds wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts. To see photos and find new episodes of the United States of Paranormal, follow us on our social media, Twitter at T-U-S-O-P. POD or Instagram at the United States of Paranormal and Facebook the United States of Paranormal. If you have a place that you'd like us to look into or would like to share your spooky story that we can read on the air, please email us at the United States of Paranormal at gmail.com. <laughs>